We want to be grounded in our view of Scripture, the same as Jesus' view, the same as the view of Scripture that it has for itself. We want you to be solid and grounded and immovable, and you stand. So that when the devil comes and hisses, and by the way, he doesn't have many tricks up his sleeve, just the same old ones he regurgitates. And the same thing he started his career of temptation off with in the garden when he hissed and said, has God really said? He repeats that one over and over and over. And he's going to say that to you sometimes. Wait a minute. Look at what you just ran into the Bible. Can you really believe that? Has God really said? And unlike our first parents, you want to be grounded. You want to stand firm. You want to reply, oh, absolutely. This is God's word. I'm the word of God. I will build my house. Welcome to Grounded. I'm Steve Hartland, pastor of Cornerstone Community Church, right here in beautiful downtown Joppa, Maryland. By the way, that's kind of a joke, insider joke for those of us who are here. Joppa, Maryland exists, but it's no town, it's no nothing. It's like a rural area now called Joppa. But anyway, it's in beautiful downtown Joppa, Maryland. And uh, as I said, I'm pastor of this church. This is episode, well, here we go. I have to admit this to you. This is numero uno, episode number one. So welcome. You get to be part of us from the ground floor up. You're right here on episode number one. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for listening. And let me take a minute and explain to you why we're calling this podcast Grounded. So aside from the fact that it just sounds pretty cool, Grounded, um, it's actually a word that comes out of a verse in Paul's epistle to the Ephesians, Ephesians 3.17. And here, I'll read it to you and you'll, you'll hear the word. Paul's praying and he prays, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded, there's our word, in love, might be able to comprehend the love of Christ and be filled with all the fullness of God. So he says, he's praying that he wants us to be rooted. That's from agriculture, farming, trees, things with roots, good root system underneath you so you're sturdy and solid and well-fed. But then he says, and I want you to be grounded. And the word grounded comes from architecture, from buildings, from foundations. So a building well-built is grounded. It's put on a good foundation. And so this podcast is growing out of that word grounded. That's why we chose that word. And we want you, we want ourselves to be grounded in the things of God, grounded in Scripture, grounded as followers of Jesus Christ, our feet firmly placed, not in midair, but on the solid rock of Jesus Christ and His Word. So that's the purpose for this podcast, to help you, to help all of us to be grounded. So that's the name, and our topic for today is, and this is a good topic to start a podcast with, I think, it is being grounded in Scripture. Now, I don't mean by that that you would be grounded in your knowledge of Scripture. Please do be. I don't mean that you learned a lot of Scripture, you've memorized some Scripture, and now you're getting grounded in the truth that's in Scripture. That would be wonderful, but that's not what I mean. What I'm really after here is that you would be grounded in your view of Scripture, in your understanding of what the Scriptures are, in your confidence that this is God's Word, so that no matter what you discover in it, like if you start reading through the Old Testament, you've never read through the Old Testament before, and you run into something and you go, well, that's odd. That doesn't really fit you know, the cultural mores of our day. You're not, you're not uh, thrown off guard by that. You don't say, oh, man, am I sure I believe in the Bible? No, it's the other way around. You're like, oh, I believe in the Bible. It looks like I need to do some judging of my culture based on the Word of God. So we want you to be grounded 
not in your knowledge of the scriptures, please be that too, but grounded in your doctrine of, your view of the scriptures, your understanding of how much they are truly God's word, their importance in your life. So let's start right there. I just used the word importance. And let me just mention the importance of being grounded in your doctrine of, your commitment to the Bible as God's word. It's so important. Everything, literally everything else depends on that. Like everything will rise or fall with your commitment to the, to the um, absolute fact that this is God's word, the Bible is. It's important that you do this. No wonder the Lord Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. You're supposed to live by that word. You're supposed to live by what's in your Bible. Jesus said that. And so it's important that you be grounded in the fact that, well, this is God's word. I receive it as such. I stand on it being such. Francis Schaeffer, now in heaven, but a great Christian leader, a great Christian apologist. When I was a younger guy, he was one of the heroes in my life. And he talked about this, your commitment to scripture actually being God's word, and it's true. It's true in everything it affirms. He called this the watershed of the evangelical world. In other words, it's like you're standing on the continental divide and you have two glasses of water, a glass of water in your left hand, you pour it out, and that water is going to wind up in the Atlantic Ocean, and the glass of water in your right hand, you pour it out, and that water is going to wind up in the Pacific Ocean. And even though they're only a couple feet apart or even inches apart, there's a watershed in between them. And if you pour on this side, Everything's going that way. And if you pour on this side, everything's going that way. So is this issue of your commitment to the Bible as God's truth, as God's word. If you take a step this side, well, I'm not sure it's all true. Guess what? Everything can slide that way. It will determine where every, everything else ends up because you'll bump into something in the Word and you'll say, well, I'm not sure about that either. And maybe not that either. And, maybe that, and pretty soon, well, you don't even have a Bible left. But if you pour on this side where you say, this is God's Word, I'm sure it is, then it's going to determine where you land on everything in that Word. You're going to go with the Word. You're going to stick with the Word. You're not going to be wobbly about it. So when people falter, when people go astray, when people uh, become apostates from the faith, one thing you can be sure is somewhere early on, probably, something went afoul in their doctrine of God's Word. They lost their confidence that the Scriptures are true and pure and are really God's Word. So uh, this is important because everything else depends on it. It's also important because, really, what we're going to talk about here is you and Scripture, and your love for Scripture is like of central importance in your life. Your love for God's Word is essential in, in the heart and soul of your Christian life. So what do I mean by that? Well, when you have a new heart, when you've believed on the Lord Jesus, and according to the Old Testament description of the New Covenant, Jeremiah 31, for example, Ezekiel 36, for example, God's going to give you a new heart. What do new hearts do? We talk about this in our church from time to time. New hearts love new things. They also hate new things. But new hearts love new things. And one of the things you love when you get a new heart is you love God's truth. You love it. It's delicious to your soul. You want to feast yourself on it. You're like the psalmist who says, Oh, how I love thy law. And you're not like the people Paul describes in 2 Thessalonians 2.10. People who heard the gospel but he says, they did not receive the love of the truth. 
So when you become a believer, a real follower of Christ, a regenerate, born-again Christian, you receive something from God. You receive a lot of things. One of the things you receive is you receive a love of the truth, and now you love God's Word. That doesn't mean, by the way, that you'll necessarily be a strong Bible reader. A whole lot of people, let's say in the first century, couldn't read. Most of them couldn't read doesn't necessarily mean you'll be strong at reading. Maybe reading is very difficult for you. But when you do access the Word, when you do hear the Word, when you are exposed to the Word, something in your heart leaps and you go, oh, man, I love that. To refer to Francis Schaeffer again, he died of cancer. When he was dying, it was reported, I think by his wife, but I forget for sure, it was reported that he was lying in bed, and when he couldn't do much more anymore, he was lying there holding his Bible well, what does that mean? Is he worshiping the Bible? No, he's, he's loving the book that took him to the God that he worships, that revealed the God that he worships. He was loving God through that book. So we want to be a Christian who wants to die hugging our Bible, not departing from the Bible, not walking away from the Bible, not slicing and dicing the Bible, not rejecting certain things in the Bible. We want to be grounded in our doctrine that this is God's word. I stand on it. All right, so let me move on. So we're talking now about bibliology, your doctrine of Scripture, and there are four terms I want to share with you here, and I would just love it. You can humor me. I would love it if you would actually memorize these four terms so I could wake you up at 2 a.m. and say, spit them out, give me the four terms, what's our doctrine of Scripture, and you would have them. And you would say, well, I believe God's Word is inspired, it is inerrant, it is authoritative, and it is sufficient. And those four terms are being used by people who have chosen to pour their cup over on this side. It's God's Word. Those are like four essential terms in our time, and they mark a divide between people with a different view. We believe God's Word is inspired, inerrant, authoritative, and sufficient. What do we mean by inspired? Well, it's actually not the greatest translation. It's a word in 2 Timothy 3.16 where it says all Scripture is inspired is one translation, but better would be God-breathed. In other words, when you hold a Bible in your hands, it's as if God exhaled and out came that book. It's inspired. It's God-breathed. didn't just come from Paul's pen or Peter's pen or Ezekiel's pen. It's God's breath that you're holding. It's God's word that comes out of his mouth that you're holding in your hands. And so a corollary of the fact that it's God's inspired word is that it's inerrant because, just to put it in a snarky little kind of way, God doesn't have any bad breath, child. He only has good breath. When God breathes out, everything that comes out is good. When God speaks, every word that comes out of his mouth is good. There's no errors. There's no falsehood. There's no deceit. There's nothing tricky. It's all true. So it's inspired and it's inerrant. And then thirdly, it is authoritative. What does that mean? It becomes the final authority for you on any issue about which it speaks. Let me read you what some believers way back in the 1600s wrote about this. This is from the London Baptist Confession of Faith of 1689. This is from chapter 1 and paragraph 10. And here's what they wrote about the authoritativeness of God's Word. Quote, The supreme judge, by which all controversies of religion are to be determined, and all decrees of councils, opinions of ancient writers, doctrines of men, and private spirits are to be examined, and in whose sentence we are to rest, can be no other but the Holy Scripture, delivered by the Spirit, into which Scripture so delivered our faith 
is finally resolved. London Baptist Confession, 1689, chapter 1, paragraph 10. So they said, hey, here's how we settle every controversy. Here's how we decide what's right and wrong. We have an issue that comes up. We go to the word, like Isaiah says, to the law and to the testimony. For if they do not speak according to this word, it's because there is no light in them. So it's inspired. It's inerrant. It's authoritative. And then thirdly, or fourthly rather, it is sufficient. Paul says, uh, all scriptures given by inspiration of God is profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction, and righteousness. Here's the sufficient part. So that the man of God, that's a technical term for someone who's in the ministry, a pastor, so that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly equipped, thoroughly furnished unto every good deed. So in other words, everything a guy needs to know how to do church, everything a guy needs to know how to lead people to Christ, everything a guy needs to know about the, what should I preach, what should the content of my sermons be, and maybe even how should they be formed and delivered in some cases. Everything I need comes from Scripture. Scripture is sufficient. Now, sufficiency does not mean Scripture will tell you everything you need for all of life. Sinclair Ferguson, a great Christian man, uh, writes, the Scriptures do not tell us everything about everything. They provide no instruction about computer programming, for example, or how to best organize a library, or the correct way to swing a golf club, or how to play chess, and he goes on and on and on. Uh, the Scriptures don't tell us all kinds of things, but the Scriptures are sufficient for all things relative to life and godliness. What do I need to follow Jesus Christ? It's all right there in God's Word. So God's Word is inspired, it is inerrant, it is authoritative, and it is sufficient. What do you think? Can I wake you up at 2 a.m.? You got them? You spit them out for me? That's where we want your feet planted. That's where we want you to be grounded. Now, let me return to the inerrant part of that for a little bit here, because inerrancy is an absolute dividing line between people who pour their cup over here and wind up in all kinds of errors and immoral things even, and people who pour their cup over there and wind up following the truth and dying in Christ one day. Um, I want to return to the inerrant thing. Where do we get that? Where do we get it from the Bible, that the Bible is inerrant? Well, basically, we get it from the Old Testament— in two words that are used repeatedly, or two word groups, you have the word, then you have relatives, aunts and uncles of the same word, cognates, they call it. And then you have the other word, uh, the one word is true and the other word is tested. So you have true and it's near relatives, it's cognate, cognates. Then you have the word tested and it's cognates. Let me tell you what I mean. So from the Old Testament, the truthfulness, the inerrancy of God's Word is mostly established in the book of Psalms, a few Proverbs too, and mostly established by these two words and their relatives, true and tested. Let me show you what I mean by the word true. I want you to be grounded in your doctrine of the truthfulness of God's Word. So in Psalm 19 and verse 9, we read, the statutes of the Lord are true and righteous all together. They are what? They're true. What are the statutes of the Lord? All of Scripture written so far by that time. The psalmist points to all that and says, those are the statutes of the Lord. And what's his claim? They are true, meaning there's no deception, there's no falsehood, there's no error, there's no mistakes. Every word there is a true word. We get this again in Psalm 119 and verse 86. All your commandments are true 
Sure. Well, there it's translated sure, but it's the exact same Hebrew word. It's the word true. There's truth in God's word. There's nothing but truth. There's all truth. We want to be grounded in that. Or again, Psalm 119 and verse 142. Your righteousness is righteous forever, and your law is true. So God's law about everything, everything it speaks about, God's law is true. So that's one of the Old Testament word groups in which Scripture tells us how to take Scripture. And by the way, this was the Lord Jesus' view of Scripture. He believed this, and we'll see that soon. But the other word is tested. We find this word tested and its relatives, its cognates in the Old Testament as well. And it could also be translated tried, tested, and found to be true, uh, or pure. Let me give you a couple of examples. The book of Psalms, uh, chapter 12 and verse 6. The words of the Lord are pure words. There's the word. They're pure words like silver refined in a furnace on the ground, purified seven times. The, the, the seven is a biblical term of completeness, of perfectness. They're, they're refined to perfection. So the words of the Lord are what? They're pure, they're tested, they're, they're found to be purified seven times. Again, Psalm 19, verses 7 and 8. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. That's the word true. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. Now, here we go. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. So there's no mixture of error. There's no mixture of deceit. There's no mixture of falsehood. There's no mixture of mistakes brought in by human authors or something. No, every word of the Bible, he's speaking of the Old Testament available to him in his day, but by extension, all of the Bible now, all the 66 books, they are true, all those words, and they are tested and tried and pure. So inerrancy is found in the Old Testament, primarily in the Psalms and in the Proverbs. How about the New Testament? Well, Jesus taught this doctrine. You know, the people who say, I like Jesus, I don't like Paul. You don't realize Jesus authorized Paul. If you like Jesus, you got to like Paul and Peter and James and John and all the rest of them. But let's start with Jesus. What does Jesus say about the Word of God? What was his view of God's Word? Was his view like, well, there's a lot of truth in there, but there are some errors too? Oh, not at all. Listen to what Jesus said, Matthew 4, 4. I already mentioned it once in this podcast. Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. That was Jesus' view of the Old Testament. What do you have in the Old Testament? Lord Jesus, what is the Old Testament? He says, oh, every word of it proceeded out of God's mouth. You should live by every one of them. You should live by those words. Let them determine everything for you. And let me tell you where they came from. They came out of God's mouth. Or again, in Matthew 22 and verse 29, the Sadducees, a group of Hebrews in Paul's day, or or, or Jesus' day, they had a question for him. And Jesus answers them and says, if you knew the scriptures, you wouldn't be mistaken. They were mistaken in their assumption. They were mistaken in what they wanted from the question they asked. And Jesus said, let me settle it for you. If you just knew the scriptures, you wouldn't be making any mistakes. That implies, doesn't it, that the scriptures will always lead you rightly. 
they'll never lead you wrongly. They'll never lead you astray. Or again, in John 17, 17, Jesus said, he's praying to the Father, and he says, Father, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. Jesus's understanding of the Old Testament in its entirety is that it was God's word and it was true, and he prays that new covenant people would be made holy by it, sanctify them by the truth. So Jesus teaches us that God's word is true without error, without falsehood, without any mixture of something that's wrong. It's all pure. It's all right. It's all true. And so We're not surprised when we see that Jesus treated Old Testament accounts that some people want to say, oh, you can't really believe that, can you? Jesus treated them as factual. He referred to and treated as factual creation, Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel, Noah and the flood, Sodom and Gomorrah, Lot, Moses, Jonah and the fish. Jesus took all of these and many, many other things we can mention to be factually and historically true. So, why are we having this episode of Grounded? Because we want you, we, we want to be grounded in our view of Scripture, the same as Jesus' view, the same as the view of Scripture that it has for itself. We want you to be solid and grounded and immovable, and you stand. So that when the devil comes and hisses, and by the way, he doesn't have many tricks up his sleeve, just the same old ones he regurgitates. And the same thing he started his career of temptation off with in the garden when he hissed and said, Has God really said? He repeats that one over and over and over. And he's going to say that to you sometimes. Wait a minute. Look at what you just ran into the Bible. Can you really believe that? Has God really said? And unlike our first parents, you want to be grounded. You want to stand firm. You want to reply, oh, absolutely. This is God's word. I know it in my soul. So Jesus taught us about God's Word. The Old Testament taught us about God's Word. What about the apostles? Again, some people say, well, I like Jesus, but I don't go with Paul, because there are certain parts of Paul they want to reject. Well, Jesus preauthorizes the revelation, and so the writings, of his apostles. Jesus preauthorized them. Well, where where do I get that? Well, for example, in John 16, Jesus says to his apostles, and what he says here is not written to you and me. It's a localized promise. It has historical particularity, if you will. It's for those apostles. He's speaking to them, and he says, look, I'm going to go to the Father. I'll send the Spirit of truth to you. It's better that he be in you rather than me be with you. And so he says, when the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you, you apostles, into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears in heaven from the Father, he will speak, and he will declare to you, you apostles, the things that are to come. He also uh, says elsewhere that he will help you to remember accurately everything I've said to you. Jesus tells his apostles, the Holy Spirit's going to come, and you'll be able to remember what I've said, and the Holy Spirit will reveal to you more that the Father has to give you, and he calls it all truth. He'll reveal the truth to you. The apostles believed that what they were saying was true. I love this one, John chapter 21 and verse 24. John, the the beloved apostle, ends his gospel with these words. Uh, The apostle who wrote this thing His witness is true. John claims that everything in the Gospel of John is true. 
Peter in 2 Peter 1, 16-20 denies that any words of Scripture come from a human source. Rather, they come to people who are themselves carried along to their destination. Everything they write to the destination of writing the right thing, carried along by the Holy Spirit. Paul in 2 Timothy 2.15 calls the Bible the word of truth. Titus, or rather, um, 2 Corinthians 6.7, the word of truth. Ephesians 1.13, the love of the truth. Colossians 1.5, he calls it the truth. James in 1.18 calls the Bible, it's the word of truth. You're to be sanctified by it. So, In the Old Testament, in the New Testament, with the Lord Jesus, with the apostles, they all teach us that God's Word, the 66 books of the Old and New Testaments, are true. They're pure. They're God's Word. And it's my hope that you'll be just grounded on that. Well, how do people attack that in our day? Well, there are two primary ways. One, some of them just come out and say, Um, that part right there, that part that I don't happen to like, it's not God's Word. So they'll just, they get their exacto knife and they cut out that line or that paragraph in their Bible and they throw it away and they say, I don't like that part, so I declare it to be not God's Word. See, the devil's hissing to them, has God really said? And they're answering, no. No, not that part, because they don't like that part. So they've got like a smorgasbord Bible. You ever go to a smorgasbord? You get to pick this food and that food and that food, and you pick the ones you want, and you reject the ones you don't want. They have a smorgasbord Bible. I'll take this. I'll take that. Give me two of those, one of these. But they don't want that part from Paul, for example, for sure. So that's one way that people attack it. They say, uh, that part right there is not God's Word. Here's another way they attack God's Word. They say, uh, I accept it as God's Word, but it doesn't mean what the church has always thought it means. We have new insights. We have new ways of interpreting these things. Those new ways tend to involve a lot of waving of hands, a lot of sprinkling wiffle dust, a lot of waving magic wands, a lot of pulling rabbits out of hats, exegetical gymnastics, putting God's Word on a torture rack and stretching it to force it to say things it really doesn't say. There's a lot of that going on in our day. Here's what I want to say. Stick with the Bible. Hold fast the form of sound words. Test everything by God's word. Again, do what Isaiah said, to the law and to the testimony. For if they do not speak according to this word, it's because there is no no truth in them. Settle controversies with this word. And please be highly suspicious of radical new interpretations that claim to have new insights that overturn Uh, so-called difficult passages, hard sayings of Paul. Let me put that whole thing a different way. So church history is a great help, a great quality control on our interpretation. If you or if somebody finds an interpretation that no one in all of church history has ever found before, you're probably wrong. You're almost sure to be wrong because there have been an awful lot of great men and women who had the Spirit of God, who read the Bible on their knees, and who sought to interpret it faithfully, and they didn't find what somebody new now is finding in God's Word. Please be highly suspicious of anything that's new and claims to have the corner on God's Word. So, summary, what's this all about? Please be grounded in God's Word, that is, in your doctrine of the Word in your reception of the fact that this book, 
Imagine I'm holding a Bible in my hands. This book is the Word of God. Cover to cover, I'll receive it all. I'll believe it all. I'll judge everything by it. I will stand. I'll build my life upon that book, the Word of God. So this is what we might call applied bibliology, wanting you to be grounded in Scripture. So that's it for today. But now before I go, let me remind you that Grounded comes out two times a month, the second and fourth Wednesdays, and you can find it on Cornerstone Media and in Cornerstone E-News. That comes out to Cornerstone people, anyhow, every Thursday. And if you like, please, hey, help us out. We're brand new here. We need friends. If you like our podcast, please write us a review. Help us out, be part of our team, and you might just give us a like, and you might share our podcast with a friend. Hope you'll join me. Hope you'll do all the above there, and uh, look forward to seeing you in two weeks. Thanks. This has been Grounded.